Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, from the moment that you got up this morning, you've been making choices. Uh, some of them were easy choices. Some of them were slightly more complicated, depending on how you wake up in the morning. Uh, some of them were choices that you made instinctively. Some of them were things that you had to stop and think about. Uh, choices like, will I have a shower? Will I read my Bible this morning? Will I use deodorant? Will I have toast or cereal? Uh, Does this top go with these pants? Those were the kinds of choices that many people had to make this morning. How did you go about those choices? Did you spend a bit of time thinking about them? Uh, Were they choices that your Christian life influenced? Did the fact that you're a Christian make a difference to any of those choices? Now, a lot of those things are just fairly trivial choices in some ways, and they're things that we would probably do without thinking about. But there's a lot of choices that we make in life that are bigger choices. Choices about education, choices about job and career, choices about marriage, choices about buying a home or where you're going to live, choices about where you'll go to church. We see those as being the bigger choices that we face in life. So will being a Christian make a difference to those choices? How will it influence the choices that you make? See, if you're serious about a relationship with God, then you would want your relationship with God to influence the decisions that you make, uh, to have a bearing on the decisions. And you'd also like to think that God might offer some guidance about those decisions as well, that God might be able to help us in that decision-making process. So we're looking at this topic of guidance over the next few weeks and it's really just going to be a bit of an overview of what the Bible has to say about guidance. But we need to start by laying a little bit of groundwork. If we expect that the God of the Bible is going to guide us in the decisions that we that we make, 
then we need to understand who that God is. We need to understand what God is like. Now, the first and the most obvious thing that the Bible tells us about God is that he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And he doesn't just create, he actually creates for a purpose. I mean, we see it really clearly in Genesis, don't we? We see that the whole of creation is there. God is the one who has brought this into existence. But Adam and Eve are that special part of creation. They are the ones who are made in the image of God. They alone are the ones made to know God, to relate to God. See, when God created, he had a plan. I don't know if any of you have ever done any pottery. I know that there's some people here who do it a little more proficiently than others. But I've had a go at this a couple of times. You have those pottery wheels where you stick the lump of clay on there and start spinning around at a million miles an hour. And you have those grand ideas when you start. You're going to make a big vase or a fruit bowl like the one that you see there in front of you. But my experience is that it all starts to wobble and starts to go out of place and you decide it's probably important to go for something with a a slightly lower centre of gravity. So you make an ashtray, even though you stopped smoking years ago, but ashtrays are very low down, so they're much, much easier things to make. Now sometimes we can have that feeling about creation, that God may have had a purpose to begin with, but he actually changed and decided something else after it all went to pieces. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's purpose in creation hasn't changed one bit, that he still has the same purpose, that we are created to live in a relationship with God, not just to know about God, but to know God personally. And the Bible's really clear. This is God's world and he is the one who made it. And here's a passage from Isaiah. This is what God says. This is what the Lord says. The Holy One of Israel and its Maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children? Or give me orders about the works of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heaven. I marshaled the starry hosts. So God's saying this is his world. He created this world. We are his people made to know him. There's a great passage in the book of Job. You might know the story of Job, that Job's a man who undergoes great suffering and he questions God. There's there's about 30 chapters of Job continually asking these questions and, and his useless friends trying to answer him. But then finally God speaks. And I love what God does here. God speaks answers directly, but he doesn't actually answer Job's questions. What he does is give Job some questions to have a think about. Have a look at what it says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. I I love that passage. Job has all these questions for God. And God doesn't criticise him for asking questions, that's not a problem. But he does say to him, just let me ask you a couple of questions, it might help put things into perspective here, Job. 
And it's what the Bible says all the way through. This is God's world. God is the one who made it. He made it by his power and he made it for his purpose. The Bible writers stress that fact. And they stress it for one very simple reason. They want to remind us that it would actually be arrogant to live in this world and ignore the God who created this world. It would be arrogant to think that you can live in this world without having any reference to the God who actually created and gave you all of these things. When my kids were a little bit younger, when they were at high school, we used to regularly have friends come over, their friends, and and it always used to annoy me if I was standing in the kitchen and some kid walks into my kitchen, goes over to my fridge, opens it up, grabs something to drink, goes into the cupboard, gets something to eat, doesn't even acknowledge that I'm standing there. They just walk in, take all of this stuff and then walk back out. I'm not even sure who this person is. But imagine how God must feel about this world when people enjoy everything that this world has to offer and just ignore God as though God weren't there. Well, this is what James says. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag and all such boasting is evil. See, the problem is not that they're going to do business. That's not the problem. The problem is that they're wanting to live in the world and yet ignore the God who created the world. James is saying, don't go about making your plans and your decisions without reference to God. But we actually learn a little bit more about God from the Bible, not just that he's the creator and sustainer, not just that he had a purpose. We know that God is the one who saves us. You've seen lifesavers at the beach. A lifesaver will pull someone out of the water when they find themselves in trouble. They'll get them back up onto the sand. They'll make sure that they're okay and their job's done. Uh, They'll walk away, they'll probably never even know that person's name, they'll certainly won't have a relationship with them, they won't get to know them. But that's not how God saves. God has saved us for a purpose, for, for the purpose that he had when he created the world. He saved us so that we can live in a relationship with him. We've been saved to know God. There's a verse in in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross, this is what he actually prays. After this, he looked toward heaven. Now, bear in mind, Jesus is just about to face the cross. He looked to heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have been given to him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is, knowing God personally and knowing Jesus. So how then does God guide? Well, if you look through the Bible, the answer is in a whole bunch of different ways. 
I mean, he spoke directly to Abraham. He appears to Moses in a burning bush. He guides the people of Israel through the desert by a pillar of cloud. Uh, There are times when he shows some people visions and dreams. Uh, Daniel had the experience of seeing a a detached hand doing writing on the wall. In the book of Numbers, God speaks through a donkey. God sent angels and the list could go on and on of how God has guided his people throughout history. So if the question is, how does God guide? The answer is loads of different ways. But the question that we need to ask is, how should I expect that God will guide me? Should I go out looking for a donkey when I have some decisions to make? Should I be looking for burning bushes? Should I be expecting a pillar of cloud next time I need to make a trip somewhere? Should I expect that every dream is God trying to tell me something? Should I expect that God will guide that way? Well, I think the clear answer from the Bible is no. You shouldn't be expecting that God will guide that way. That's not how God has promised that he will guide us. And that's not even how the people in the Old Testament expected God to guide them either. See, Moses didn't go looking for a burning bush every time he wasn't sure what was going to happen next. Daniel doesn't expect to see a detached hand writing something on the wall every time he's got a choice to make. But the Bible repeatedly does say one thing. It says that we can rely on God's word, what God has clearly said. God has revealed himself in the Bible. That's why they collected it up and put it all together in that book, because this is what God has revealed of himself. And Psalm Psalm 119 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's the message that we get all the way through the Bible. When you want to know how to live, when you want to figure out how to make that choice, well, the Bible says, look at what God's word says. Because it goes on to say things like this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In the book of Deuteronomy, when a king was about to take the throne in Israel, he had to make sure he had a copy of the law. And by law, we mean the first five books of the Old Testament, the stories about Moses and Abraham. He had to make sure that he had his own copy of the law. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be written... Uh, it is sorry, it is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees. What's the king need to know if he's going to be a good king? He needs to know what God says. He needs to read God's law. And the same message comes through in the pages of the New Testament as well. Paul says this to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every 
good work. You want to know how to be equipped in your Christian life? You want to know how to make the right choices? Then look at what God's word says. You want to live and act like people who have that relationship with God? Then listen to what God says in his word. Now you can't look at the idea of God's word without looking at kind of the most significant aspect of God's word. Uh, This is what we read in Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has revealed himself in his word. He's done it many times and in a whole bunch of different ways. Through donkeys, burning bushes, cloudy pillars. But the most important way that God has revealed himself is in his son, Jesus. It would be true to say that Jesus is God's final word. That's why God says, this is my son, listen to him. Now what I want to do with each of these guidance talks is I want to talk about one practical issue. To have a think about how we practically put into place this idea of guidance and what the Bible has to say. So the practical issue that we're going to look at today is buying a car. Will being a Christian make a difference to me buying a car? Does God's word have clear guidance for me? See, if I want to be serious about my Christian life, then what's the Bible going to say about buying a car? Is it going to tell me whether or not I should buy a red one or or a white one? White ones look nicer, but red ones go faster, so that's really important. Should I get a Subaru or a, w, uh, or a Daewoo Matiz? Which is the one that I should be choosing out of that? Maybe I should go for the Mercedes SLK 55 MG, because they're a really good-looking car, aren't they? I mean, it is a really attractive little piece of machinery. Should I get a manual or an automatic? Now, you're probably going to say to yourself, well, I don't remember seeing the words Subaru or Mercedes anywhere in the Bible, and you're 100% correct. It doesn't appear in the Bible. But the Bible actually does have a lot to say about buying a car. The Bible says that you shouldn't measure yourself or other people by the possessions that you have. The Bible says that you shouldn't chase after things that are fleeting in this world. shouldn't try and store up treasures on earth. You should be instead trying to store up treasures in heaven. And the Bible says that you need to be wise in the way that you use your money. You need to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to you. And when it comes to driving your car, the Bible actually has a lot to say as well. It says that you need to obey the law, so you need to make sure that your car's registered and that you've got a driver's licence. You need to abide by the speed limit. Don't scoff, Deb. But you need to abide by the speed limit as well. The Bible also says that you need to love your neighbour, so that means you need to be someone who's gracious when you're driving on the road. See, I don't think our problem is that the Bible doesn't tell us enough about these decisions. I think our problem is we often don't want to listen to what the Bible says about making those decisions. When Debbie and I first got married, I think I can honestly say that I was pretty hopeless at buying gifts. Um, I made a, a mistake very early in our marriage. I actually bought Debbie a dress. Now, I know now that was a really crazy thing to do, and I'd learned very quickly that it was because the very first thing that she said to me when she unwrapped it was, oh, did you keep the receipt? So <laughs> I kind of knew I wasn't on a, on a winner there. 
And that wasn't her problem. That was my problem. And the problem was we didn't know each other that well. And I didn't really know what her tastes were or the things that she would like. But as time's gone on, we've actually got a lot better at buying gifts for each other. We've got better because we know each other better. We know the things that we like. We know the things that will will please each other. And I think the same is true in our relationship with God. You want God's guidance? Then get to know God better. That's what the Bible says. So if you're serious about wanting to live as a follower of Jesus, then you need to know what God's like, how it is God would want us to live. And what's that going to look like? Well, at the very least, it's going to look like you reading your Bible. That's what it's going to look like. It means that we continue to make the Bible at the centre of what we do here when we come together on Sundays because we want to hear what God has to say. Not just what I have to say or anyone else has to say. We want to hear what God has to say in his word. It may mean that you try to get along to a Bible study group, a place where we can actually talk a little bit more about what it is that God says in his word. We had Psalm 119 as a, sorry, Psalm 19 as the Bible passage this morning. Uh, I've done a little bit of a paraphrase and I've stuck the word Bible in there for every time it talks about the law or the ordinances of the Lord. So I've kind of rewritten the last few verses. So this is the Luke Tattersall version of Psalm 19. This is what it says. The Bible is perfect, reviving the soul. The Bible is trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible is right, giving joy to the heart. The Bible is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The words of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. By it, your servant is warned. In keeping it, there is great reward. See, if we're serious as living as God's people... If we want God to guide us in our decision making, then we need to be serious about God's word. 